Hi, how we doing? Good, good. Good to be here with you all. Uh, my name is Andrew. For those of you guys that don't recognize me, uh, my wife Rachel and I were on staff with City Light. You here, our college ministry. Got any college students up in here? A little bit? Cool. So uh, Rachel, my wife and I, we've been uh, married for eight months and we've been serving on staff here for seven So we're in our rookie season of both marriage and ministry, uh, but it's been going well. We've loved getting to work with college students here at City Light, and honestly, every single week we're in awe of what Jesus has been doing through the lives of college students, and it's been a a true privilege to get to work here. And uh, Jesus actually came and intervened in my life uh, when I was at the University of Nebraska just a few years ago, and man, just before that, I would have been the last person in this city that you would have expected to be preaching on a Sunday. So that just shows how gracious and redemptive our Heavenly Father is, and it makes it all the more privileged to get to serve this specific part of God's family through investing in college students' lives. Uh, so as a City Light family, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Last week, Austin opened us up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and he shared how, man, before we knew Jesus, we weren't just sick people. We weren't pretty good, but man, we kind of had some sin flaws, but before we knew Jesus, we were dead in our sin. But God, being rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. I mean, even when we were dead in our sins and running from God, Jesus came down, rescued us, raised us up, and seated us with him in the heavenly places for all of eternity. For all of eternity, we we get to be trophies of God's grace. And today, that's where we get to pick it up in our text. But first, I want to ask you guys a question. I want to ask you guys, do you have someone or something in your life that you would consider a precious gift, yet you find it easy to take that gift for granted? So many of you guys know my wife, and for those of you that don't, when you meet her, it won't take long before you're asking yourself the question, how the heck did this happen? Like, seriously, it does not take a mathematician to look at my wife, to look at me, and to say, man, something's not quite adding up here. And I don't say that out of flattery, but I say that because it's true. Man, ask Pastor Mo, ask Austin. I'm kind of a knucklehead, okay? Like, I don't deserve how gracious Rachel is. I don't deserve how patient she is. I don't deserve how well she points me to Jesus and she cares for me. Yet, despite all of those things, I have a daily temptation to take her for granted. And I'd imagine many of you have someone or something that you take for granted as well. You have a bunch of people leaving the church today, calling up their moms like, Mom, I love you. I just want you to know I don't take you for granted, right? We've got some conviction going on up in here. But my point is, is that it's not that we don't believe that these things are a gift and that we don't cherish them, but that it's, we fail to live out how much we enjoy them, right? It's not that we don't know that it's a gift. It's that we fail to live out our lives in response to that. And if we're being honest, I think even as Christians, we do that with God's grace, Right? We, we mentally assent with it, we, we give mental assent, we agree with it, but we fail to enjoy it and to live in response to the grace that we believe in. And reflecting on the gift that Rachel is and saying, wow, she is such a gift that I don't deserve, allows me to cherish her and to love her and to serve her and to care for her and to live my life in accordance with what I believe. And in the same way, as we dive into God's word today, my hope is that as we see the beauty of God's grace and the expansiveness of God's grace, that it's not just something we say we believe in or not just some Christian term, but it's this life-changing reality that we daily cherish and never take for granted. Man, my prayer for City Light 
is that we'd be God's redeemed children that are marked by grace, that are abounding in good works because of the grace he's given us that we've found in Jesus. So that's what we're going to be diving into today. But before we get into our text, let's pray. (sighs) Father, I just thank you for this family. God, I thank you for the work that you're doing here and that, God, you did come down, you did provide a way that we might know you. God, and that today we can rest in your grace, God. We don't have to earn your approval. We don't have to gain your love, God. But in Christ, you've, you've earned, you've won your love for us, God, and it's sealed and it's secured. So God, would you give us a greater belief in that today? Would you draw our hearts to that? Would it not just be something we agree with, but something that's real in our lives, God? I pray all these things in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. So we're going to pick it up, Ephesians 2, verse 8. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the first observation that I want to draw from God's word is the root of our salvation. First observation, the root of our salvation. So the first thing Paul emphasizes in our passage is that salvation is a gift. The root of our salvation is that it's a free gift given by the grace of God through Jesus alone. So in these first 10 verses, Paul is just hammering it in to the Ephesians that the entirety of salvation is ascribed to God's grace alone. So look in Ephesians 1, 2, 1 through 7, the transformation that's happened in just these first seven verses. It says this, in Christ we pass from death to life. It says we went from being slaves to the world to seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We went from children of disobedience to children of righteousness. We passed from children of wrath to recipients of kindness and mercy. Even when we were dead in our sins, God made us alive together with Jesus. Now it's really easy when you look at those seven verses to see our condition before Christ And our position now in Christ doesn't allow us to really boast in anything that we did, right? This is a work that God did in us. And in these first seven verses, Paul's making this plea to the Ephesians, and then he pauses in verse 5, and there's a little dash, and he makes the comment, by grace you have been saved. And then he goes on to talk about the immeasurable riches of God's kindness and mercy for the coming ages of eternity. And then in verse 8, he comes back, for by grace you've been saved. And then he expands on it. So there's clearly something that God doesn't want us to miss here. All right? So in verse 8, he goes further and he says, By grace you have been saved through faith. And this, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So when Paul says this is not your own doing, what is he referring to? So Paul isn't just referring to grace. He's referring to the entirety of our salvation. So Paul here is saying, hey, grace is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Faith is a gift. It's all a gift from God, not by works. And the danger comes when we view this passage to mean that God gives us the grace and then we supply him with the faith. And when we look at it that way, faith in itself becomes a work. And verse 9 makes it clear this is not by works that no one would boast. We can't boast in our faith because faith is part of the gift that God gave us in his grace when he brought us from death to life, right? And it's actually really freeing and liberating that we don't have to muster up enough faith but that we get to receive it because of the finished work that Jesus has done. So you might be thinking, but wait, Andrew, isn't it my responsibility to have faith in Jesus? And the answer to that is absolutely it is. 
You need to make a clear decision to place your faith in Jesus and to surrender your life to him daily. But how was that faith made possible when we were children of wrath, dead in our sin? God made it possible by his grace. So his grace opened our dead, blind eyes to see that he's truly beautiful, that we might follow him. So since salvation is a divine gift, it cannot be earned. It's not about our moral efforts or our religious activity. Our salvation is a free gift in the work of God. So Rachel, my wife and I, as we join staff here, part of what we get to do, a privilege that we get to do, is we get to raise financial support to be here. So we get to go to people. It's this kind of humbling, faith-stretching experience, and we did it while we were engaged. It was pretty crazy. And we go to people, and it actually is fun. We get to say, hey, this is what God is doing through City Light. This is what we believe Jesus is calling us to. And would you want to invest your money into what Jesus is doing here at City Light? In one particular couple, we were sitting down with them, and I didn't know them, and Rachel didn't know them, and actually our point of contact for this couple is that I used to party with their friend, or with their son in college before I knew Jesus. So, so that's my resume with, with this couple, right? That's all they know about me is I used to party with their son before I knew Jesus. And we're sitting across from them, and we're saying, hey, this is what Jesus is doing. This is what he's done in our lives. We have a pretty big need. Would you guys pray? Would you pray and see if Jesus would leads you to giving to that. So a few days go by, and I'm like, man, I don't know how to reach out to these people. This is awkward. Hey, you going to give me that money, or what's going on? You know what I mean? And so I call him up, and I'm talking to the wife, and we're small, small talking for a few minutes on the phone. And she goes, hey, Andrew, by the way, I just want you to know I already went online, and we already decided to give to you. But just so you know, the City Light page, the maximum transaction is only $2,000. So I had to do it in three transactions. But the $5,000 that we gave to you should be there here in a few days. And my mouth literally dropped just like a lot of your guys is right now. And I was in awe of the gift that we'd been given from these people. I couldn't believe it, right? So when you hear that story, what is your first response? Is your first response like, man, Andrew must have been talking his butt off over that breakfast? (laughs) Probably not, right? Like your first response is, wow, what a gracious gift out of love and out of sacrifice. And man, it'd be easy. I could probably have the temptation to say, well, yeah, they gave that freely and it was gracious, but look at all this stuff I do for Jesus. We could say, well, yeah, Jesus gave us his salvation freely, but look at all this stuff that we do. And if we do that, we're missing the point, right? It's a gracious gift that we did nothing to earn. We have no boast. The only boast is in the one who gave the gift. So the truth that grace, salvation, and faith are all a gift from God is the root of our salvation. But how does that affect our lives? So it's one thing to believe the grace of Jesus is our only boast, and it's another thing to actually live that way, right? So in other words, how are we not just agreeing to this grace we believe in, but how are we enjoying it? How are we enjoying the grace we've been given? Because if you're anything like me, a lot of times we don't live in response to the grace that saved us. So I want to ask us a few questions that might help us diagnose our hearts to see how we're living in response to God's grace. First one. How do you respond when you fall into sin or when you struggle with your brokenness? I mean, do you run to God because you know that Jesus has saved you and made you right with God? Nothing can take that away. You're sealed by him. Your father's arms are open and waiting. Do you run to him or do you kind of beat yourself up for a few days? Do you kind of feel like you have to clean yourself up and you kind of have to, you know, 
beat yourself up for a few days and uh, do some good things and then God will love you? Or do you know that God loves you in that moment? Because if we're not, we're placing our justification in our works and not Jesus' finished work, right? So the beauty of grace being a gift means that we did nothing to earn it, therefore we can do nothing to lose it. So God's grace is not contingent upon your behavior. So if you're in the room and you struggle with some stuff, as I imagine most of us do, and you've been beating yourself up and you're condemning yourself because you can't meet this perfect standard that you set for yourself or you can't meet this perfect standard that you believe God has placed on you, can I lovingly remind you today that the gospel says that Jesus fulfilled that perfect standard on our behalf. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to condemn yourself. You don't have to constantly be trying to meet this mark because Jesus met the mark for us and he's freely offering his grace. That is what we get to live out of. The other side of the coin is that we don't boast in what Jesus has done, but we boast in what we've done for Jesus, right? So we boast in how often we serve, we boast in how much we give, we boast in our biblical knowledge, how much we share Jesus, uh, our high level of moral superiority, how we don't sin as bad as that person, right? And if we're being honest, We'll give Jesus the boast for our salvation, but then we say, check out all this other stuff that I've got going on for myself, right? And if we do that, we miss out on the joy that it is to point glory to God for his grace in our lives, and we miss out on receiving and abiding in that grace daily. We rob ourselves, we rob God. If our boast is in anything but Jesus, we're being robbed. And here's maybe the biggest way I miss out on enjoying God's grace. Do you find yourself constantly striving to do the things the right way? So I find myself striving to do everything us Christians know we ought to do, not in response to grace, but because it's the right thing. So it's actually more about trying to find my own significance and my validation while kind of having this Christian shell on it, right? And if I'm being honest, it's not about the gospel, it's about Andrew. And I want my life to be significant, so I work my fingers to the bone trying to find worth in what I do, and it looks like Christianity. It looks like coming to church, looks like reading my Bible, looks like city group, looks like fighting sin, looks like sharing the gospel, looks like sharing my neighbor, but at the root of it, it's not in Jesus's grace, but it's in my own self-reliance. And it's burdensome. It's this false religiosity that I've made up. Can any of you relate to that? And the beauty is that if you can relate to that today, God's grace has covered that too. And he wants you to come back to his grace this morning and to continue to abide in it as we go from this place. I want to share a quote from a pastor that I believe really emphasizes the root of our salvation. The pastor says this. He goes, I wish I could say I do everything for God's glory. I can't. Neither can you. What I can say is that Jesus' blood covers all of my efforts to glorify myself. I wish I could say Jesus fully satisfies me. I can't. Neither can you. What I can say is Jesus fully, fully satisfied God for me. I wish I could say, I surrender all to Jesus. I can't, neither can you. What I can say is Jesus surrendered all for me. I wish I could say I've kept all my promises to God, and I can't, neither can you. What I can say is that God has kept all his promises to me. Christianity is not fundamentally about our transformation. It is fundamentally about Christ's substitution. So we get a rest in the gift of God, that he alone is the root of our salvation. And now we can run to God when we sin. We're free from this burden to constantly feel the need to glorify 
ourselves. We don't have to strive within ourselves to be good enough because we can rest in God. This is the gift of grace that we've been given and it changes everything. So just in the same way that reflecting on the gift that Rachel is allows me to cherish her, honor her, and live my life in response, daily reflection on God's grace will allow us to enjoy the abundant life that he's redeemed us for. So City Light, can we never let God's grace grow familiar? Can we never uh, take it for granted and just let it be this term that we kind of know about but we don't actually experience in our day-to-day lives? Because it's for, by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's not our own doing. It's a gift from God. May this be our boast and may this be our source of joy. So now that we've looked at the, the root of our salvation, uh, how it's a free, unmerited gift, grace, Jesus alone, faith alone, the rest of our passage shows us uh, how this salvation changes us. So we'll continue reading verse 10. Verse 10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ, Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the second final observation I want to draw from God's word is this the fruit, the fruit of our salvation. So the first point was the root of our salvation. Now we get to look at the fruit of our salvation. So while verses eight and nine showed us that the root of our salvation is free, unmerited gift, grace alone, faith alone, Jesus alone, verse 10 shows us that a genuine saving faith never remains alone. It changes us. A genuine saving faith never remains alone. It changes us. So we'll begin unpacking this with the word workmanship. So other translations, this word, workmanship, is translated as masterpiece. So this is saying, you, in Christ, are God's masterpiece. Like, you're his masterpiece. Like, do you believe that today? The original word in Hebrew is poema, which it's easy to infer our English word uh, came from it. It's poem. But this doesn't just mean like a, a work of written literature, but it means a masterful design. So this text today is saying, in Christ, you are God's masterful design. It's referring to God's redeemed children. And we're not a masterpiece because of anything that we've done, but we're a masterpiece because of what Jesus has produced in us. I want to ask you, do you believe that about yourself today? Is that your identity? That because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, you're not broken goods, You're not identified with your past mistakes. No, you're a masterpiece produced by Jesus. Do you believe that? Because there's some implications to being the masterpiece of a master creator, aren't there? I mean, God's perfect. He's without error. He's in control. He sees and knows all things. And this is who designed each of us in this room. He's our architect. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. So what can we infer? Man, God didn't mess up on me. God didn't mess up on you. An author I admire says this, you are carefully crafted into the creation only he could contrive. It's truth, it's no lie. You're here for a reason and so am I. Carefully crafted, creation only he could contrive. Only God could think up his design for you. So let's not identify ourselves with our sin 
and our, and our brokenness and our shame and our past decisions and our anxiety and our depression and the things that we wrestle with and the good things and the bad things. But let's let our identity be in what God says it is and in Christ we're his masterpiece. Do you believe that? It's not based on anything we've done, but it's based on everything Jesus has done. And we live in a culture that says, you've got to be self-made. You've got to put yourself together. And Jesus says, that is a lie. We don't have to strive to be self-made. We don't have to strive to put ourselves together because despite our brokenness, Jesus has made us a beautiful masterpiece. If you've trusted in Christ, that's your identity today for the rest of your life. It goes on to say, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. So you pause there. His workmanship, his masterpiece, why created in Christ Jesus. So this is talking about God's redeemed children. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So the root of our salvation is a free unmerited gift of Jesus and the, f- the fruit of our salvation or rather a byproduct is that we are a new creation. So we have new desires. We have a new heart. So God saved us from sin, and he saved us for righteousness. God saved us from sin, and he he saved us for righteousness. So Romans 6, 20-23 puts it this way. It says, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and at its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I love how this scripture in Romans paints the picture of sin. It shows us that the fruit of our sin, the fruit of our former nature, are things that we're now ashamed of. The end of sin is separation from God, but it doesn't stop there. It says, no, now we've been set free from that sin. And now we've become slaves to righteousness. We have a new nature, new desires, and the fruit of our salvation grows to, leads to growing in righteousness. So this doesn't mean we'll live perfect lives, but God's grace doesn't just change us, it saves us, right? So God's grace meets you exactly where you're at today, exactly with what you're struggling with today, but it doesn't leave you there. God changes you. He produces new life in you. So God meets us when we're dead and we have rotten fruit and rotten roots uh, and the sin of this world. And he uproots us and he changes our identity and he roots us in his grace and he bears God-honoring redeemed fruit. That's honoring and glorifying to him that we were created for. And it doesn't mean we have to produce it, but God changes us. And then as we continue to abide in his grace, he produces the fruit through us. So we're his masterpiece, we're a new creation, and for what reason? So if you continue on in the verse, it says, we're his worksmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So a fruit of our salvation is we're a new creation, and a fruit of our salvation is that we're created for good works. So James 2.17 says this, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James isn't saying that works are a part of the root of our salvation, but he's saying that works are a fruit of our salvation. So James is saying, if you are truly rooted in the saving grace of Jesus, the fruit of good works are a non-negotiable byproduct. If you're truly rooted in the saving grace of Jesus, if you truly experience that, the fruit of good works are a non-negotiable byproduct. 
So if I were to stick my hand in a fire, I mean, it'd probably get burnt, right? It's a non-negotiable byproduct of my hand being in a flame. And in the same way, if you're in Christ, you will be changed. It's a non-negotiable byproduct. Just for clarity, it isn't God gives us this salvation and then our effort and our works take over. That's going to be our natural temptation. But God, God's grace gives us the salvation and then God's grace sustains us in our lives to produce the good works that he's created us for. And it's actually beautiful because beautiful God's created in a way that we get to abide and enjoy his grace. We don't have to work for the salvation and we don't have to work for the good works. It's all a gift that he's given in his grace. So for those of you who are in Christ, good works aren't just kind of this thing that you might do sometimes, but good works are actually a part of who you are. You have a new nature. Your, your new nature longs to do things and live a life pleasing to God. And the only part of us that doesn't is our, is our sin. So if you look at your life and you don't see that there's any fruit of your salvation, can I lovingly ask you to take a look at your roots? Because if a tree didn't produce apples, it'd probably be fair to inquire that it wasn't an apple tree, right? And if a person professes Christ with their mouth and their life shows no fruit of good works, the most loving thing you can do is ask them, hey, are you rooted in Jesus? Do you really know his grace? And this isn't so that they'd feel condemned or they'd try to work really hard to earn their salvation, but that God, by his grace, might open up their eyes to see they haven't received it yet. And if you have received that salvation from God, if you have been rooted from him, but your life isn't showing that fruit of good works or of joy, of peace, and you're not truly experiencing that abundant life God's created you for, I want you to know, one, that's, that's okay. I'm glad you're here, but I want to ask you, have you been rooted in God's grace, or have you been rooted in your own reliance? Have you been rooted in God's grace, or have you been seeking the things of this world? And if you haven't been experiencing that fruit, come back to God's grace today. That's, that's his call to us. That's his invitation. And we'll still sin, struggle, and fail, but in Christ we have an, a new nature and the power to live this life out. And as I prayed over these truths, I realized, man, I have so many sins that I still need grace for. Daily. And my tendency when I experience conviction is to go from conviction to good works while forgetting that grace alone produces change, right? So when I feel this conviction, I'm tempted to see, man, oh, I'm so sinful. I need to clean myself up and I need, I need to work hard for God. And I feel like God sees his redeemed children in Christ trying to clean themselves up and trying to work to validate ourselves and trying to find our significance in what we do. And I feel like God's heart just breaks for us. And I feel like God just wants to shake us and yell, my grace is sufficient for you. Man, when I said it's finished on the cross, I meant it. Come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, quit trying to work, quit trying to clean yourself up. Come to me. My grace is enough. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? God, his grace is sufficient for, sufficient for us. That's our call today. And I love that verse 10 says, God prepared these good works for us beforehand. Beforehand. So just as an architect would have a plan for this masterful design of a building before the first shovel hits the dirt, and just as a general of an army would have plans for his military before the first boot hit the battlefield, how much more does God have plans for his redeemed children in Christ? Right? We are his masterpiece, therefore we can know he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. 
were made by God and he has prepared a life for each of us in this room to walk in. God has prepared a life of fruitful good works for you to walk in by his grace. And you might be wondering, man, if good works don't change God's love for me and I'm, I'm saved anyway, then why do good works, right? Like if Paul says we have salvation because of Jesus' works and not ours, then why do we even bother with good works? And here's why we should desire the good works. Because though our Heavenly Father doesn't need our good works, our neighbor might, and your, your co-worker might need your good works, and the, the orphan or the, the homeless child or your family right? Or the friends in your fraternity or your sorority or on your athletic team, they might need our good works. And it's not that we would earn God's love, but God can use our good works by his grace that other people might know the love that he has for them as well. So verse 10 isn't saying that the call in our lives, the call for these good works is to be good moral rule followers. And it isn't saying that the call of good works is to try to be really, really good within our own strength so that God stays happy with us. But the call on our lives is to joyfully respond to what Jesus has freely given us and to tell the world what he's done and what he wants to do for them. It's to tell the entire world about his grace. The call on our lives is to join our heavenly Father's work in redeeming all of creation through his gospel. Not to earn God's love, but to enjoy God's love and to make it known. That's the invitation to us. So how has God called you to walk in the good works that he's planned for you? Man, maybe it's committing to a city group and instead of just coming on Sunday, maybe it's actually diving in and investing and doing life with God's family and inviting people into it and serving and going out with them or maybe it's sacrificing part of your Sunday to come and give up some of your giftedness to serve the church, or maybe it's inviting somebody who doesn't look like you into your home and making them a meal and loving for them and caring for them and showing them the love of Jesus. Maybe it's starting a Bible study at your work, or maybe it's telling that coworker that you're afraid to share the gospel with about how Jesus has changed your life. Maybe it's looking at your career, not as how much money you can make, but how much you can share Jesus with other people. I mean, maybe your good works are just praying for your family to know Jesus. Man, maybe part of your good works are removing, by God's grace, getting rid of something in your life that's keeping you from him. Or maybe part of the good works are setting aside time in your week or in your day to actually receive God's grace and to cherish it, to not take it for granted. So I don't know the specific good works that God has for each of you, but I do know that you are his masterpiece. And I do know that God only made one of you And I do know that he has specific plans prepared for you to walk in. He has a purpose for your life. So what is it, right? Whether you're 50, 55 years old and you're nearing retirement and you're saying, man, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Or you're 19 and you're trying to decide what you're going to major in, in college, you were created for good works in Jesus, So I want to remind us, I need to remind myself today, we don't find our purpose by looking within ourselves, but we find our purpose by looking in Jesus because it's him who we were created in. That's where our life is found. That's the only place it'll be found. So by grace, can we walk in the life that he's prepared for us? So believer in the room, have you been living in kind of this ought to mentality? Has your Christianity become an ought to or have you been living in response to God's grace? 
Has your Christianity become burdensome because it's a religious list of to-dos where you have to check the box? Or are you joyfully responding to the grace that God has gifted you? Man, can we go from here as redeemed children of God, sharing the gospel with everyone, not because it's obligatory, but because we've experienced the grace of God and we can't help but share it with a broken world? Man, can we dive into God's word daily, not because we're supposed to as Christians, but because every single page of God's word is littered with his grace for his children? Can we fight our sin, not because we have to and we need God's approval, but because God already fully approves of us because of what Jesus has done in his gift of grace? Can we fight our sin by his grace because we're already fully approved of? Can we give sacrificially? Can we go wherever God would tell us to go because we know that the only thing we need in this world is the grace of God, which is already secured in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. When we fix our eyes on this gift of grace, we've been given Christianity is anything but boring and burdensome. It's the all-satisfying, life-giving relationship that every person in this room was created for. In the room, I want to do a, a litmus test of sorts, and I want to ask you, I want to ask the entire room to reflect on if you were tragically, and I pray that this doesn't happen, but if you're going to get breakfast with your friends after this, and you were, you were to die in a car accident, you were to sit before the God of the universe, and he were to say, hey, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? God says, why should I let you in? What is your justification, and what are you telling God? And the reason that I ask this question, I meet a lot of college students on campus doing college ministry, and a lot of them, I'll you know, be getting to know them, their spiritual background, and they'll say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then I'll ask them this question, and they'll say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that bad, and I've done a lot of good things, and I was raised Methodist or Lutheran, and I got confirmed in middle school, and it, man, I'm, pr- I'm pretty good. And I think I prayed a prayer once, and guys, I genuinely... I'm glad that there's a lot of good people in here, and I honestly believe most of you are a better person than me. I really do. But our goodness can't save us. And I didn't want anybody to leave this room today thinking that they have an eternal relationship with God because of anything found within themselves. Because we can't find it within ourselves. We can only find it in the gift that Jesus has given us. By his grace, we've been saved. Have you been marked by that grace? Does your life reflect that grace? I'm not saying it to to challenge you, but to ask you, man, has it changed you? Have you experienced it? And if you haven't, if you've kind of heard about Jesus, and yeah, I think he's the Savior, and I think he did something on a cross, but you've never known him as the Lord of your life, would today be that day? Don't go another day without experiencing the grace of God that he's freely given you. City Light, the root of our salvation is the free, radical, scandalous, unmerited gift of grace that Jesus has provided for us. May we never take it for granted. May we cherish it daily. And would we go from this place marked by the fruit of our salvation, and that's joyful, good works that God prepared for us to walk in by his grace. We don't have to earn them. We don't have to strive for them. We receive his grace for our salvation, and his grace sustains us in the good works he's created us for. Let's pray.